So, uh, carrying on this morning, we have a guest speaker today. Um, her name is Sarah Carlisle, and she is uh, a friend of the um, Vineyard. In fact, she's a member um, of the Vineyard Church, and she was asked by John and Debbie Wright, who oversee Vineyard, um, to give us uh, all really a message um, at Lent time in and around Easter. And she talks, uh, she, it's, it's wonderful, she talks about um, preparing for Easter um, and how we can meet Jesus both in the celebration of Easter, um, but also recognizing that the Thursday and Friday bit of Easter, um, there was more pain and there was suffering. Um, she goes deep pretty quick, so um, hold on tight, uh, but it's worth the ride and we shall see you on the other side. Hi, VCUKI. My name is Sarah Carlisle and I'm a spiritual director with Sustainable Faith, an organization birthed in the cradle of the Vineyard stateside. We um, have gotten to train pastors and leaders both in the UK and Europe in this charism of spiritual direction. I currently reside in Amsterdam and that is where I am tuning in from today. So good to be with you. Thanks for having me this morning. This week we're gonna go ahead and look at Jesus after his resurrection, how he comes to his closest friends and followers before he recommissions them. And when Jesus comes to his closest friends and followers after he rose from the dead, they were a little beat up from the journey and had some catching up to do. Can you imagine going from proclaiming the kingdom of heaven and demonstrating it in power to suddenly your leader and your loved one is dying a bloody death before your eyes and suddenly he's back? You go from God seeming so far off in distance to suddenly being present again. Instead of just picking up where they left off, Jesus spends some time with them and offers them consolation before he recommissions them and has them get busy. And this is what's so amazing and beautiful actually about Jesus because our God has worn the skin of our humanity. He's experienced all of the realities and struggles of our experience from our temptations to the darkest of human sin or suffering. Jesus has endured it all in his life or on the cross. And this is why he is our great consoler. He entered into our suffering and he continues to enter into our suffering. Sometimes we don't get rescued out of it. Sometimes God simply meets us in the midst of it. He's present to us and he brings us his love, his comfort, his peace. And if I'm going to have to go through it, I don't know about you, but I don't want to do it alone. And this is an assurance, a strong assurance we have in God that we are never left alone. I was talking to a friend this week who's been sharing his faith with a friend who is a hospice nurse, and he's been having trouble articulating to her the difference um, it makes to be a follower of Jesus. Anything he would offer to her, she would simply say, yeah, well, people in my village, they, they're the same and they're not Christians. But she's begun to notice something as a hospice nurse who is often with the dying. She started to notice the difference in people who are followers of Jesus and the peace they have as they approach death. In our most vulnerable moments, as we approach death, God is with us. 
We're so aware of this as followers of Jesus. From Jesus coming to his resurrection, Jesus reveals to us what God is like. In his coming and in his suffering and death, he wasn't acting as some sort of divine exception. He was showing us what God is like, that our God suffers with us. Our God wants to be with us in our greatest pain and our deepest joys, that our God is humble. He gets low to be with us. Our God feels our pain. Jesus is not acting in a way to appease an angry dad in his coming and on the cross. Jesus' suffering and death is revealing to us the loving heart of the Father. In Jesus' suffering, we see the heart of God revealed, a God who suffers with his creation, a God who hurts with his creation. And sometimes we find ourselves groaning with the Spirit, and we don't know what else to say or how to pray. We simply groan. Jesus reveals to us what the Father and the Spirit are like. Jesus is fully human and fully God. In Jesus, God links to our humanity. And in Jesus, God links us to divinity. And in this season of Lent, we remember our human fragility. We are in a time in history where this is so apparent. And we remember that we are dust and to dust that we will return. And we Try to lay hold of the words and sobriety of Psalm 91. Teach us to number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. Lent is a time of shedding and renewal, repentance and fasting. It's a time to make space for God. For some of you, space is not hard to find. For those of you who live alone, it's not the space that's the problem, but maybe it's a struggle to be motivated. Others of you feel quite tight under one roof, and that space is actually really hard to find. So how do we make room for God? Often it looks like God welcoming God into our actual lives and not waiting for something to be different. It's welcoming God into our versions of suffering. It's allowing Christ to console us where we are. So what is suffering actually? It's so easy to, to dismiss our versions of suffering because there's always such severe examples around us. We can always point to something else and say, well, it's not as bad as that. It's not like suffering in Myanmar or human trafficking of women and children who are vulnerable. But all of our suffering matters to God, ours and theirs. Suffering is an experience where we've lost power and are out of control. Some of our suffering looks like unfulfilled longings. It's the babies we want and haven't had the partner we long to find and haven't. Suffering looks like our bodies no longer functioning like they used to or not functioning like they're supposed to. Some of our suffering comes from lost. Death and divorce are some of the fiercest. But some of us are experiencing the pain of loads of smaller losses right now. The loss of normalcy, of going to work, celebrations like weddings and celebrating babies and honoring the dead properly. There's a loss of physical space or human connection. Some suffer with mental illness that you didn't even ask for or do anything to deserve. Or we suffer when our kids suffer. Just this week, I listened to a friend lament her own daughter tearfully needing to be hospitalized because of her own mental illness. We just want them to be okay. 
In order to welcome God into our suffering, we need to be willing to admit our own before God, no matter how big or small. Only you can be responsible for your own life and all of our suffering affects us and our life with God. So I wanna start with these two spiritual direction questions. What are the places in your life of struggle, of suffering? And where are you needing Christ's consolation? What are you needing from God? In all of the resurrection texts, we see Jesus coming to his followers as consoler. I love that word consolation. It's alleviation of misery or distress of mind. It's mitigation of grief or anxiety. Ignatius describes spiritual consolation as an interior movement towards faith, hope, and love, where your love for God increases. It's the result of experiencing God's very presence. And in these resurrection texts, Jesus comes to console with his very presence. He isn't in these moments concerned about what they should be doing for him and expecting them to be preaching the good news of the kingdom. He recognizes that they are humans affected by great loss. They've lost their Jesus. They tasted the sting of death. They've lost a sense of purpose amidst the bewilderment. And they're full of doubts and tears and anger and embarrassment. And they feel rather lost. Have you ever been there before, even after knowing Jesus? Ever felt like you can't recognize Jesus, even if you really want to? Maybe it's how you feel now, and it's how the followers of Jesus felt. And these are the same guys who Jesus commissioned earlier. We see this in Luke 9 and 10, for example, as Jesus sends out the 12 and then sends out the 72, proclaiming and doing the good works of the kingdom. So he'd already commissioned them once. They'd already seen so much. They'd already done so much. But because God understands our humanity, he understood that he couldn't expect them to just pretend they weren't beat up from the journey. He understands why they aren't going out there and really going for it. Maybe some of you relate. He didn't take them out to heal people in that time. He didn't expect them to do great things for God. They are tired and weary and in need of consolation. And he told them to wait. And he promised them when he wasn't with them any longer, he would send the comforter, the Holy Spirit. In John 14, he says that to continue to bring this comfort and to continue to remind them of all the things they'll need to remember later. And maybe you're somebody that does feel like you're really going for it and you feel a grace to do that. Then maybe this message will give you a little bit of grace for those of us who don't feel that way. <laughs> So before he recommissions them after his resurrection, he first consoles them. So we look, if you look at all the resurrection texts, Luke 24, he listens to them as he walks on the road to Emmaus. He eats with them. He spends time with them. He opens their eyes to see him clearly. And in John 20, he meets them when they're gathered together hiding for fear that they'd be hunted down by the religious leaders. He breathes on them his peace inviting them to receive the Holy Spirit. He's just comforting them. He lets them touch his wounds. He eats with them. He opens their minds so they can understand the scriptures. Again, he cares for them and reminds them of what he commissioned them to do in the first place. Only after he does this, he sends the comforter later to recommission them. Ignatian writer David Fleming says it like this, Note how much the divinity shines through the person of Jesus in all his resurrection appearances. The peace and the joy which he wants to share with me can only be a gift. 
of God. The role of consoler, which Jesus performs in each of his resurrection appearances, is the same role he performs now. This is a faith insight into why I can live my life in true Christian optimism. So Christ comes to console us, and then he commissions us. And sometimes we have to come back to God for that. I love this scene from John 21. It's probably one of my favorite texts in all of the scriptures because it includes a few of my favorite th things. Jesus, good company, beach, and fire. And it beautifully demonstrates how God comes as our consoler and commissioner in Jesus. Allow yourself to imagine the scene. Just picture it. Picture how these guys are feeling now that Jesus has died. We see them actually going back to business as usual. They go fishing, which is what they did before he called them. It's kind of like they don't even know what they're supposed to do in the meantime. And as you picture this, just see what stands out to you. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you through the scriptures. And feel free to even close your eyes as I read this. From John 21. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. And he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. And when they had landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you just caught. So Peter climbed back into the boat, dragged the net ashore, and it was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Who are you? None of the disciples dared ask him. They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. And this was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So Jesus comes and spends time with his friends. It's so sweet. Here they've gone back to life as normal as they could, thinking that maybe what Jesus said wasn't true. Apparently nothing Jesus said is happening. Boy, were they wrong, or maybe just impatient or disillusioned. It's understandable. But in our spirituality as followers of Jesus, we believe in the Paschal mystery, that death leads to life, crucifixion leads to resurrection, and humility leads to honor. In Jesus, we experience the all-vulnerable God and the almighty God. We need to have room in our spirituality for both. We need to hold both the agony and humiliation and suffering of the Garden of Gethsemane to Good Friday and the life and power and hope of Easter Sunday. Can you in your own life endure and hold the agony and humiliation and pain of Gethsemane and Good Friday? Or do you insist that it always be the life and power and hope of Easter Sunday? In your own life, does the pain and confusion and frustration 
of your own Good Fridays diminish your ability to see the life and healing power of Resurrection Sunday. Sometimes God chooses to meet us in our suffering instead of rescuing us out of it. And sometimes God chooses to rescue us out of it. But sometimes he rescued, he just meets us within it. Look at Jesus. When Peter tried to fight him on the suffering part that he was going to face, when he first started to talk to them about it in Mark 8, Peter starts to fight him on it. And Jesus calls him Satan and tells him he doesn't have in mind the things of God. And if you think that Jesus' suffering somehow replaces our need to suffer as humans or followers of Christ, then look at his closest friends who came after him, who all mostly died, all bloody deaths themselves. We don't get to escape these realities as followers of Jesus, but God's presence can be available to us in the midst of it. And even as we meditate on the suffering and death of Jesus, it has a mysterious way of awakening our hearts to resurrection life. I led a retreat a while back and a woman who pastored a church with her husband came up to me asking for prayer. And she'd been suffering from insomnia for years and recently had gotten worse with some issues going on within her family and even in her church. Her kids were struggling. And she said that she just felt drawn to meditate on the cross of Jesus, like just staying close to Jesus as she held her own suffering. And I felt like God wanted her to just continue that. So I just blessed her to stay at the cross, meditating on the cross. And she wrote me after this, explaining that God healed her of her insomnia. She just meditated on the cross, weeping at the feet of Jesus. And she was experiencing God's heart in a new way as she did. Ignatius would call these tears that she wept at the feet of Jesus, tears of consolation. She would just meditate and weep, she said. They're the kind of tears we experience when we first turn to Christ, often in the form of repentance tears. But they're also the kind of tears that come when we feel unity with Jesus in suffering, our own or other people's. Often it brings a deep healing to our own hurts and disappointments. I recently experienced these kinds of tears when I was reading Peter Griggs um, newer book, God on Mute. I absolutely recommend it. What a wonderful read that holds these tensions so well of suffering and death and resurrection and life. I would weep and feel my love for Jesus growing as I listened to this book, even though these people that he was sharing about wouldn't get healed. This week, I sat with a woman who agonized over her children with severe disabilities and how they'd never been healed. And her extended family calls her acceptance of her situation, her children's situation, as a diminished faith. And they insist that she continue to pray for healing. And she said, from the time that my son was born, everyone had all the answers of how to fast and pray for healing brochures about how to help him, but no one, and she was very grateful even of those things, but she said, but no one just sat with me in my pain. No one told me that God could meet me in my pain. They all just wanted to resolve the tension and avoid it. And as Jesus has met her in this place, often by meditating on passion narratives and in the gospels and in spiritual direction, he's brought her great consolation. And not only that, he's been forming in her an, a vision, a ministry to hold this kind of space for other mothers dealing with children in, who have chronic illness. 
other mothers who find themselves in these heart-wrenching circumstances to hold this kind of space for them to welcome God's healing, to allow them to meet the Jesus who suffers with us. Henry Nouwen says that sometimes the source of our greatest pain is the source of our deepest calling. Only God can console us and turn our pain into joy. Our God can meet us in these places and commission us with a new vision. He did, he did this with Peter later on in the text, but this is how Father Rohr describes it. This is how he describes Jesus. The risen Christ is the standing icon of humanity in its final and full destiny. He is the pledge and guarantee of what God will do with all of our crucifixions. At last, we can meaningfully live with hope it is no longer an absurd or tragic universe. And listen to this part. Our hurts now become the home for our greatest hopes. Our hurts now become the home for our greatest hopes in Jesus. And this is what we see happen to Peter. And if you look in verses 15 to 25, and I invite you to read it on your own, but in place of Peter's three denials, Jesus replaces it with his love and calling. He, re, he begins to recommission Peter. I'm going to close with this commissioning prayer. And I want you to just allow God to meet you in the places you need him most. And just see which part of this prayer might stick out to you the most. Christ Jesus, give us your humility that we might serve the people in our everyday lives in simple and hidden ways. Christ Jesus, give us your grace where we have denied you and not been faithful to you in our thoughts or bodies. Christ Jesus, give us your love that we might respond to this great love and acts of mercy, kindness, justice, and peace. Christ Jesus, give us your kingdom that we might proclaim freedom to the prisoners the hungry, the lost, and broken. Christ Jesus, give us your power to heal, that we might pray for the sick in heart and body and see your healing come on earth as it is in heaven. Christ Jesus, give us your sort of humanity, that we might live in the shape of our own human limitations and restrictions and trust you in your mysterious ways with all the rest of it. Christ Jesus, give us your strength, that we might honor you in our work, in the labor of our lives. Christ Jesus, give us your imagination, that we might be partners with you, co-creating with you in the renewal of all things. Christ Jesus, give us your courage to be silent when we need to be silent, to be quiet when we need to be quiet, and to speak up when we need to proclaim your good news. Christ Jesus, in closing, give us your consolation that we might receive the grace we need to respond to your mission of love in this world. In the name of our good Father, our friend and companion Jesus, and our strengthener, healer, beautifier, Holy Spirit, we pray all of these things. Amen.